Hey guys, I've just put my rubbish out and I'm just waiting to hear the rubbish trucks come around. And I've decided that today when I see the rubbish collectors, I'm gonna come out into my yard and I'm gonna give them a big round of applause because these guys are working every day and they're collecting all our COVID-19 hazard waste. And let's face it, majority of people that have been diagnosed with COVID-19 are actually self-isolating at home. So it is COVID-19 hazard waste that these rubbish collectors are collecting. And I think it'd be really nice if as many people as possible could come out of their homes today, just stay in their yard and give these guys a round of applause for all the great work they're doing, keeping us hygienic and safe. Thanks guys. What a great idea. Really awesome to keep finding ways to support those who are out working to keep our community running while so many of us are still on lockdown. Kia ora, I'm Indira Stewart. Welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast. Later in this episode, our producer, Jesse Chang, is going to talk us through the impact of the lockdown on our environment. You might think it's all good news with lower carbon emissions and less pollution, but actually, it's a bit more complicated than that, particularly in New Zealand. But first, let's get to the headlines. Yesterday, the Ministry of Health announced 89 new cases of COVID-19. That's the biggest one-day rise we've seen so far. The majority of cases are still linked to overseas travel or to existing confirmed cases. Only 1% of infections are confirmed as community spread. But the Director General of Health, Dr Ashley Bloomfield, says the actual rate of community spread is probably much higher than those numbers suggest. 17% of cases are still being investigated uh, and many of those we expect will transpire to be community transmission. And Dr Bloomfield says we're still waiting to reach the peak of this outbreak. Not yet. Uh, I think the 89 cases today uh, shows that it's now, um, uh, it's one of, I think is the highest number of cases we've had in a single day. And so it is on the up. We expect it to keep rising and we won't see any impact until another week at least of the measures that are currently in place. You might remember yesterday we mentioned there were concerns from GPs all over the country about a lack of swabs to test people for COVID-19. Dr Bloomfield says the Ministry of Health is now tackling that problem as a priority. And this is something we've um, gripped up and are taking a national approach to. We've got over 100,000 swabs in the country uh, and we're sort of moving as we are in other areas from a what I would call a peacetime distribution system to a wartime distribution system to make sure that, it, that the swabs are where they need to be. There are also moves to distribute more personal protective equipment to health workers around Aotearoa and Dr Bloomfield rattled off some stats on how that process is going. So over the last seven days we've distributed uh, 1.8 million masks around to DHBs and more widely in the sector. I can also confirm that on Tuesday night uh, we confirmed an order of 41 million additional face masks that will start to arrive from next Monday and continue to be delivered over the next six weeks. At the moment we've got 23 million pairs of gloves in the country, we've got uh, over a million more on order so the stock keeps coming. Uh, we've got uh, 850,000 safety glasses or equivalent and 640,000 uh, face shields on order as well. So in addition to our good stock on hand, we are making sure that those supply lines are good so that we continue to have an uninterrupted supply. Speaking of PPE, 
The United States health authorities are taking another look at whether people should start wearing masks in public. Until now, the advice has been that masks are only needed for frontline health workers or for people with symptoms to help stop them spreading the virus while coughing or sneezing. But the US Surgeon General, Dr Jerome Adams, says they're now reviewing that guidance. Initially, the CDC, the World Health Organization and my office recommended against the general public wearing masks based on the best available science at the time in terms of whether or not it prevented the wearer from catching coronavirus. Now, we've learned about this disease, and we've always said we're going to learn more, we're going to adjust, and we've learned that there is a, a fair amount of asymptomatic spread. And so we've asked the CDC to take another look at whether or not having more people wear masks will prevent transmission of the disease to other people. Back in New Zealand, Dr Ashley Bloomfield said our health authorities will be keeping a close eye on the issue of masks. There is a range of views on this, uh, and there's some suggestion that um, routine wearing of face masks uh, by people when they're out in public uh, may help reduce the transmission, for example, if they are um, asymptomatic. Uh, so we're looking very closely at that. Um, I'm watching that CDC review very closely. Those, those 41 million masks, then, is, it, is there potential that those masks could go to the public as well as um, health professionals? It is possible, yes, because the main thing would be to ensure that they are being used where they are most valued. But for now, here's the best advice we've got about masks. First, do not buy the special N95 masks or surgical masks. Those kinds of masks need to be reserved for health workers. If you're sick, it's definitely a good idea to wear a mask to stop you spreading the virus to people in your house. If you aren't sick and want to wear a mask outdoors, that's okay, but make sure you wear it correctly. Wash your hands before and after handling it and don't fiddle with it after you put it on. Finally, don't be complacent. There's still very little scientific evidence that mask wearing by the general public is a major factor in stopping this virus. But there's extremely strong evidence for the other steps you need to take. Wash your hands frequently, avoid touching your face and maintain a social distance of at least two metres whenever you are outdoors. Turning to the economy, yesterday Jacinda Ardern announced a new system to support essential workers who need to take leave during the lockdown. There are people working in our essential services who are more vulnerable to uh, COVID-19, such as those over 70 or with compromised immunity, and workers who have vulnerable people at home. We need to ensure that they have the ability to take leave and are not feeling pressured to come to work. This also applies to those on essential service front lines that contract the virus and need to take leave as a result. The leave scheme allows businesses to pay those workers who need to take leave at the same rate as the wage subsidy scheme of $585.80 per week full-time and $350 per week for part-time workers. Usual conditions apply, such as an employer paying the usual income if it's less than the relevant subsidy, or if it's more, the employer aiming to pay at least 80% of the worker's usual income. The scheme will be open and available from next Monday. Ms Ardern also announced a new digital method to keep people up to date with information about COVID-19. Today, a New Zealand government WhatsApp channel for COVID-19 has kicked off. Uh, the current functions include latest updates and news, latest case information, symptoms, financial support available, 
and mental health advice. It's been led by the Health Minister, David Clark, and was developed with help from the private sector, including Rob Fife and Sam Morgan. Uh, for those interested, rather than being an app, it utilises WhatsApp, given that so many New Zealanders already have this function on their phone. Uh, so once you have WhatsApp on your phone, if you simply open your browser, uh, type in covid19.govt.nz forward slash WhatsApp, it will give you the option of sending yourself a link that will then open in your existing WhatsApp um, app and you'll have the latest COVID-19 information right there directly on your phone. Once we have people using um, that function on their device, that they will then build in additional functionality and in the future may be able to help us as we continue our ongoing fight against COVID-19. And finally, one of the voices you'll have gotten used to hearing in the daily COVID-19 briefings is Police Commissioner Mike Bush. Today, Mr Bush retired from the police after 42 years in the service. He'll still be playing a major role in the government's response to COVID-19. He had time for some parting words at his final media conference as Police Commissioner yesterday. I'm extremely proud of the people the 14,000 people inside the New Zealand Police, but also our emergency services partners and everyone in uh, hospitals, private and public, that are on the front line uh, of this response to COVID-19. What they do, the professional way they do it, the courageous way they do it, to keep everyone safe. So can I, from the bottom of my heart, thank all of them for their commitment uh, to their country and to the people of New Zealand. Commissioner Bush, how are you celebrating your last day? Do you have a cake? <laughs> Not yet. Have you got one? Thank you. No, I'm, uh, I'm celebrating my last day in the New Zealand Police by attending Select Committee, uh, by being here in your good company. Um, there won't be a party at Mike's place later. No. No, there'll be a virtual one. You might have seen headlines about how COVID-19 lockdowns are curbing pollution, cutting carbon emission and removing dangers to wildlife. While our producer Jesse Chang went off to investigate what the lockdown in Aotearoa means for our wildlife, and as she found out, it's not a simple story. As our city streets and motorways have emptied of cars, the environment is taking a breath of fresh air. Pollution is dropping rapidly in cities around the world. In New York, researchers saw carbon emissions from cars and trucks fall nearly 50% compared to this time last year. Studies show that a drop in coal and oil use in China have reduced carbon dioxide emissions by at least 25%, and levels of general air pollutants are also significantly down. I'm Jessie Chang, one of the producers for the RNZ Coronavirus podcast, and today I'm looking at how the lockdown has affected our environment. Obviously, there have been immediate wins. Less traffic and travel means less air pollution and carbon emissions. Whether that lasts, of course, is another question, and we'll get to that soon. But first, how is the New Zealand environment coping? There are plants and animals, particularly animals in New Zealand, that require 24-7 care. And with the lockdown, that's going to be very difficult to achieve. Already seeing on Facebook posts about, you know, predator-free sites, uh, predator control. Uh, think of places like Zealandia, uh, Mongatatari, or Boundary Stream, or whatnot, or what's going on on Waiheke Island with their attempt to eradicate stoats. And this has had to be put on hold. 
and that can be quite serious. Peter DeLang is an associate professor at Unitec School of Environmental and Animal Sciences. He's looking at the long-term impact of the coronavirus lockdown. I'm thinking a bit further. People are concerned about Cody dieback. Uh, the one I'm concerned about is myrtle rust. Remember myrtle rust? It first hit New Zealand in 2017, and it caused quite the stir. Biosecurity staff are rushing to contain a destructive fungus which has been found on mainland New Zealand for the first time. Myrtle rust has been found in five Puhutakawa seedlings in Kerikeri. Areas of New Zealand may see localised extinctions of native trees as myrtle rust continues to spread. It's been found at more than 580 sites. That number grows daily. A five-year research programme was set up called Beyond Myrtle Rust, and its main focus is to study the behaviour, ecology and impact of the disease. Auckland University, Unitech and Landcare Research are all a part of it, including Peter DeLang. And he says there are striking parallels between the spread of COVID-19 and myrtle rust. What's actually happened so far in New Zealand is that myrtle rust is still finding its way, but it's actually spreading very, very quickly, particularly through the western parts of the North Island, uh, but also around East Cape, and it's extending further and further south in the South Island. So what we've been looking at is trying to understand better how this rust invades its host. And uh, as I said, there are strong parallels between this and COVID-19. We're in this sort of voyage of discovery, trying to find out as much as possible about this rust problem so that we can find ways to try and control it or mitigate the impacts that it has. How much will it affect the research to have it stop for four weeks or possibly even longer? Well, it's a collaborative venture which has got a multifaceted sort of approach to it. So we have people who are doing ecological work, which is setting up long-term monitoring to try and see what will actually happen uh, in, in selected sites that are dominated by myrtles uh, and to try and make better predictions as to what the impacts will be from those monitorings. And that's been put on hold and that's not great because the funding is only for a certain amount of time, five to six years. And I'm sure a variance could be allowed for this, but, but we don't know. Uh, plant and Food and Scion have been looking at aspects as to how this uh, rust actually attacks its host, what it's doing inside its host. Quite recently, they've discovered that this rust is actually engaged in having sex. I'm curious, Peter, how does myrtle rust have sex? Well, rusts... And I'm no mycologist here, so apologies to the mycologists out there listening. Let's see if I can go to Fungi 101. But rusts have a number of different uh, strategies with which to reproduce. They have uh, an asexual phase where they can bud themselves and spread. So in a way, in a clonal way, the yellow powder that you see associated with myrtle rust is, is an asexual strategy. But they can also produce sexual spores. And these spores are a completely different colour. They're black. And what it had been thought was that this rust, when it came to New Zealand, it had blown here as the asexual kind of spore. But what we've found is that we must have had um, multiple introductions or uh, different genotypes or something's gone on. I'm not quite sure here. As I said, this isn't my area of expertise. But what we're seeing is that myrtle rust is now engaged in having sex. And that's potentially more of a concern because if you're dealing with a clone, Genetically, in theory, it should be all the same. It might be easier to control, but if you're getting you know, genetic variation, then that makes it harder to control.
and the parallels with COVID-19 are strong because COVID-19 belongs to a group of viruses that can very easily mutate. And that's a big concern. So it's a similar thing. I mean, there, there are a lot of parallels between the crisis of myrtle rust, except it doesn't affect humans directly, although it will affect us in the long term, uh, and COVID-19, which will definitely affect us. And is there anything you can do in the lockdown? Hopefully in the lockdown, uh, a lot of the research that's been started, it will give a chance for some of the researchers to consolidate their facts and findings and publish that, which uh, will, be, will be great, although these will be interim. Uh, but what it will also mean is that the monitoring, for example, we have been trying to set up plots in a number of places around the country, and uh, we're well on track to having meetings with relevant iwi and interest groups, because this has to be a collaborative venture. You can't do it in isolation. And we've had to put that on hold. And myrtle rust research isn't the only thing on hold. The Department of Conservation sees things like monitoring pests, weed control and setting up cameras are all taking a back seat for now. In fact, it says most of its work with wildlife is on hold while the country is in level four lockdown. But for conservation group Predator Free Wellington, the lockdown is providing some unexpected benefits. James Wilcox, the project director, explains. We've certainly had renewed interest and that's fascinating. So we've put the call out to people to let us know what's going on and they have, which is really, really great. The information sharing and the, the intel for us is huge. Certainly been interesting coming through, a, a lot of interest coming through those, those channels, our mm -hmm. 0800 No Rats number, uh, our Facebook page and hello at creditorfree.org.nz our email as well and I guess for new households wanting to get involved you know one of the few things that are open is a supermarket and they can still go and get a trap or get a bait station and, and put that in situ at home and, and link up with their local creditor free community group through the website or, or through Facebook so there's certainly those avenues for new people to get on board and our existing Trappers, they've just been going hard the whole time. Right, so you can buy a bait station from the supermarket? I'm sure there are, are, are certain types of bait, bait stations you can get from supermarkets and certainly traps for sure. And the other, the other point to make, I guess, Jesse, which is a bit of an opportunity for us if, if you can look at it in that way, given what's happening around the world and what's happening in our own country now, is that this time of year in autumn is when rats in particular will be moving around a lot more. So they're starting to look right. for refuge and shelter for the colder winter months. And, you know, we've got thousands and thousands of Kiwis sitting at home now. And so the likelihood of rats coming into contact with humans is far greater. So it presents an even better opportunity for us to nail these last ones, particularly on Miramar, but also broadly throughout the city as well. So back to the global issue then, carbon emissions. Yes, they've dropped and in some cases like China by about 25%. But how much of a difference will that actually make? There's a real question about whether those will rebound once, we, um, once we've dealt with this crisis or whether some of the things that we're learning and we're experimenting and we're realising might actually stick. Um, it could go either way, basically. 
uh, which is why I say ultimately it's up to us um, as a society and as individuals how we want to live as we come out of this, knowing that even once this crisis is over, we're just leaping into the jaws of the next one, uh, which is climate change. That's Sam McLennan, a climate risk and resilience advisor for New Zealand businesses and the government. Transport is is responsible for a really significant share of our emissions. And certainly if you're looking at a personal level at your carbon footprint uh, in a wealthy country, allows most of our footprints, um, the largest item in that basket, if you like, is air travel. I've long had a sort of interest in how we view it as a society. I think it's possibly the hardest aspect of our individual emissions to grapple with. You know, I know a lot of people who would rather go vegetarian for the whole year just so they could keep flying the way they currently do. It's definitely an industry that we need to change our approach to. And the tough thing for governments has been that they don't want to be seen as uh, explicitly preventing people from flying. There's actually quite a lot of discussion about different ways that could be done, including some that's centred around looking at the different reasons for why we travel and making some kind of judgment call around, is it really worth flying to Melbourne for a three-day shopping trip? Nobody is cheering for COVID-19. It's obviously having a horrific impact all over the world. And as we've heard, in New Zealand in particular, it will probably cause significant damage to our native species. But Sam McLennan says it has given us a chance to really think about our own carbon footprint and what we can do differently once this crisis is over. Thanks, Jesse, and thanks to all of you for joining us through what's been another huge week. Remember, if you want to ask a question or read our intro or just drop in with a message of support for your fellow Kiwis, you can do that through RNZ's Vox Pop app. It's free and super easy to use. We'll be back with you on Monday, but until then, be kind. Kia pai te mutunga o te wiki. Kia haumaru, kia kaha. The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Jesse Chang and Sonia Sly. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. And while you're there, why not check out some of RNZ's podcasts? If you're looking for some ideas on parenting under lockdown, check out Are We There Yet? It's a regular show on the pleasures, pratfalls and practical lessons of parenting. And they've just released a special episode on how parents are coping under the pressures of COVID-19.